Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially. You can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Good morning to y'all. It's good to see you guys. Welcome to the online folks. If you're watching on Facebook, share it. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. If you're watching on the website, we're so glad that all of y'all joined us. If you're listening after the fact on the podcast, we're glad that you joined us for this conversation. Yeah, we, we are in a, a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Believe it or not, if you're new to Grace Bible or if you're new to the community, you just got here this week and you didn't know this was going on, what you just saw uh, was just an afternoon of prayer and worship that we gathered together with the 15 other churches here in the Heartland that partner with us like family, and we worship God together out in the middle of the open air of downtown Sebring. And it was actually pretty cool because we didn't bring enough, uh, we, we thought we had enough sound equipment. You couldn't see all the people. There's probably seven or 800 people out in that parking lot. We were bringing enough sound for, you know, two or 300 folks. Well, when 800 people showed up and they're like scattered all throughout this downtown area that we were in, it was like, dang, what was cool about that, though, is you could hear the voices declaring the words over the music and everything, and it was just a powerful experience. And so, like, that, that's, that's just one of the many deposits that God is going to be making in his people as we're going through this journey of prayer and fasting. Today's day seven of 21 days, so how are you doing? Your enthusiasm is overwhelming right now. I hope somebody at home at least got off the couch and shouted, you know what I'm saying? Uh, how are you doing on your 21 days of prayer and fasting? Don't give me no fake stuff. Uh, surviving, that's, that's how I feel, you know what I'm saying? Well, hey, uh, some of y'all are probably experienced God in a rich and fresh way. Some of you may be in the freshest and richest way you ever have. Some of y'all may be still be waiting to hear from the voice of God. You're still just struggling and straining through, just taking those steps of faithfulness and fasting and prayer, and you're, you're asking God to move. You're asking God for a response. You're asking God to be healed or whatever it is. Like You just continue pressing in. Listen for the voice of God as he starts to transform you. Some of you came here this morning. You started last week, and you made it till Monday afternoon, um, and you fell off the horse. Listen, 14 days of prayer and fasting is better than none. So if you, if you fell off the train, hop back on the train. Devote these next two weeks to really just intentionally focusing on the Lord. And I had a conversation with somebody this week, and they're like, Dustin, I forgot how hard this is. And I'm like, yeah, I forget every year uh, how hard it is. But I just want to remind you, like, fasting is like we're intentionally creating a void in our lives. We're taking things that otherwise normally satisfy us, and we're taking them off the throne for a season to put Jesus, the ultimate satisfier, back where he belongs. So that the things in our lives that, that oftentimes empower us don't gain power over us, we need to do that regularly. And so as we're in a season of fasting, yes, like you're intentionally creating a void. And guess what happens when you remove something that satisfies you? Then you become dis... And that's usually where it starts, dissatisfied. That's when you notice the void. That's, that's the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, prompting you to pray, to worship, to get into his word, to reflect on the good news of the gospel, to just immerse yourself in the presence of God. The void is the mechanism that God uses to put himself back in that space in your life. And bef before you know it, truly, like God's gonna step in and fill that void, and some of y'all won't even go back to the thing that you were fasting. You're gonna realize it doesn't satisfy in the same way that the, <laughs> that the king of glory does. You hear what I'm saying now? Huh? 
It's just different. It's different. But Godspeed on the journey. Some of you, for some of you, there's 14 days to go, and for some of you, this is the beginning of a long season of fasting as you can continue to seek God beyond the bounds of 21 days. The Lord has something to say to every one of you. Fasting or not, fasting is just steps into the forum to which God speaks very loudly and very clearly because you're intentionally removing fog from your life. And so Godspeed for the journey, praying for you in the journey. Um, I, I want to let you know, just, just, just as a, if you have your Bible, flip on over to Acts chapter 1, just, just by means of a brief announcement. We're going to have the office closed tomorrow. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King um, Day. And we, we, we definitely feel um, compelled that we as a church and staff, we, we want to remember uh, all the great work that has been done Uh, The great work that Dr. King did, but the great work that has been done um, throughout the generations to try to uh, really bring civil rights to the forefront, to try to bring equality amongst people, to try to heal uh, the racial divides in our country. Um, And I want to say we've come a long way, but dang, we got a long way to go, but we ain't stopping now. And as a church family, we're going to be a part of the solution. Not that, not that closing an office for a day is, but like it's, it's, just a, it's just evidence of what we're committed to. I hope you see that. Um, we want to see our community change. We want to see our world change. We really want to see Jesus reign supreme in the unified body of Christ practice for heaven right here on earth. Why not start now? If you don't like it here, if you don't like it when the body gathers of different races, different cultures, different denominations, if you don't like to gather in that kind of environment, if you don't have friends across racial and denominational or, or lines there or whatever, like you ain't going to like heaven very much because that's what it's going to be like. Amen. So we're going to start now. We're going to start practicing now. And honestly, like practicing for, for heaven is something that we value here. We want to worship God well in the way that we live our lives. And um, Throughout this journey of 21 days, like typically we do like a three-week series because there's three Sundays that happen during the 21 days. You do the math. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Some of that went way over y'all's head. Um, so uh, typically we do like a three-weeker to just really focus in on that. Um, we, we are going to be in the book of Acts, but we decided as a pastoral and elder team that we wanted to just keep going with Acts. So we're going to do over the next several months, we're going to be going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts and reacquainting ourselves with God's design for his church. And I'm going to be honest with you, like, as I am fasting, one of the things that I am praying for is that something changes in us here at Grace Bible. Something changes in the landscape of the church in our community, in our country, globally. Like, as I'm reading the scriptures, like, just to be honest with you, what we call church looks nothing like what Jesus designed it to be. We've designed church to satisfy our greatest God, and that's the God of comfort. When church was meant to be a space, a people on a mission together to bring glory to the King of glory. We fell off that track a long time ago, as a people, as a whole. I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying most all of us, myself included. And the book of Acts re- reacquaints us with, well, the simple truth that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that his church could be a bunch of buildings competing for market share on every street corner in every small town in the world. 
He died on the cross that we would be an ecclesia, a missional movement gathered around the mission of the gospel so that the world would know that the king of glory has arrived and that he has paid a price that we couldn't pay to set us free. That we could be his, children of God, completely reconciled to him. Well, that's what the whole book of Acts really is about is we get to see the ignition of the spirit-fueled, spirit-powered church of Jesus Christ. And this is how Acts chapter 1 begins It starts like this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What is he talking about the first book? Well, the first book that he was referring to is the book of Luke. We know that because the guy that wrote the book of Acts is Luke. Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. And so Luke starts out by saying, hey, before I jump into anything, I want to remind you like that this is This is us continuing the conversation that Jesus started that I recorded back in my book. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Say many proofs. In other words, like, the eyewitness example, the eyewitness encounters with Jesus wasn't just a couple of one-off situations that a handful of disciples saw, convinced everybody else that they saw, and then everybody started spreading the rumor. There were many proofs. In other words, like you might have ran into Jesus at the gas pump in the grocery store line while you were standing in line to get your coffee. He hung out in town for a while, for 40 days it says, He appeared to them over 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. Undeniable proof that the one that had been crucified on the cross and laid in the tomb was now alive and hanging out with the locals again. And a while as Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Hang out here for a little while because I want you to wait for the promise that the Father gave me that I told you about. In John chapter 14, when you heard me say these words, like John baptized with water, but you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, he's telling them, hey, my Holy Spirit's gonna come back and he's gonna be with you and he's gonna be in you. John chapter 14, Jesus is reminding them of the promises promise and he says hang tight until that happens you're not going to want to go on this journey alone you're going to need the power of God to dwell in you for this kind of stuff so when they had come together verse 6 they asked him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel hey Jesus we just saw you conquer death like ain't it about time you conquer Rome too I mean we hate those guys you know they're terrible like isn't it about time that Israel's restored to power Jesus is this is this, are you about to do that right now? And Jesus' response in verse 7, he said, it ain't none of your business. He said to them, it's not for you to know. The time or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, but take your focus off that for a second. You stop, stop being worried about the timeline of what God's doing. That's his plans. What I know for sure, Jesus says, is that right here, right now, you're here, and the world needs to know what has happened, and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. He ascended into heaven. 
And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood around them in white robes. Who do you think that was? Maybe a couple of what? Maybe a couple of angels, yeah. And said, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky, into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Listen, like what, do, what Luke is doing right here at the beginning of Acts is one of the great works of discipleship that we are also called to do as a people. You, you notice what he's doing? He's reminding those that are listening, he's reminding his friends and the other disciples and his family, like, don't forget about the past, present, and future work of Jesus. This is one of the great acts of discipleship in our lives, and quite honestly, like, we need to devote a lot of energy to just reminding each other of what Jesus has done, is doing, and is about to do. That could really change kind of the, the view that we have of what we're experiencing in the world right now. That could really help call our eyes up off the things of the world that are temporary onto things that are eternal. We need to be reminded of that. We are a people that has been saved by grace, but we live in light of the return of our king, and this is not our home. Peter says we're sojourners, man. We're just passing through. This is just a visit. You're here on mission. This is a business trip as a part of the family business called the kingdom of God. This is not your home. Don't get caught up in its stuff. You're here to let people know the good news that Luke talked about all through the scriptures, and he reminds them the words and work of Jesus. The Savior King, God himself, who shed his royal robes, got up off the throne, put on skin, moved into the neighborhood, lived life with us, lived a perfect life that none of us could live. We could not satisfy the law of Moses, but God could. And so he stepped into our story, lived the perfect life, fulfilled the law of God, became our sacrificial lamb, died on the cross, and his blood was enough to satisfy the wrath of God, to pay for the sins of whosoever would believe in him. But his death on the cross wasn't the end of the story because death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't defeat him. And so he walked up out of that joint. And as he was speaking to his apostles here at the end, we're reminded, like, not only did he ascend into heaven, he sent us back as a gift. We'll look at it next week, Acts chapter 2. He sent us back as a gift, like his presence, his Holy Spirit to come dwell with us and in us, and he says, not only that, you got some work to do. That's why I'm going to leave you here. That's why I'm going to send my spirit to be your guide, your faithful counselor, your power, your authority. Literally, heaven's going to touch earth again, and it's going to touch earth in you. It's not going to stop there because don't forget I'm coming back. I came once. I'm going to come back again. And we cling to that hope. We cling to that reminder, the good news of the gospel, past, present, and future tense, that we are a people that have something so much greater to hope for. And those who are in Christ Jesus, the best is still yet to come. Don't get tangled up in this mess called earth. But yet while we are here, there's a mission to be done. There's a mission station that God has given you called your neighborhood and your life and your job, your relationships. And God intends to use that for his glory. You know, I've been convicted this week as I've been preparing for this message, um, and I've been praying specifically, just asking God how to have this conversation with us, because we've, we've been doing church so long as a people to, like, 
the truths of the word of God get desensitized because it's like, well, it's just another sermon. We bob our head, we say amen, and slap the preacher on the back, and don't do it too hard. I'll turn around and... And it's like, I, I, I am, I am been, I've been begging God this week. I'm not, I'm dead. All right, we're not going to have a sermon today. We're going to have a heart to heart. Let me just start right there. I mean, I've been begging God this week to not let us miss this. Man, we could spend the next 30 minutes doing the deep dive, parsing out the Greek words, like doing, the, doing our regular diet of Bible study on the weekends, and that's a good thing. Like, that's part of why we gather, but I think we understand what he's saying here. I'm just not sure we care. Just to be honest. So I've just been asking the Holy Spirit of God to break into the deepest parts of our hearts and awaken something in us. Maybe I should start by asking just a few questions. Are we a church that really believes the word of God and all that it teaches? You think about that. For those of you that would say yes, I've got a couple more questions for you. In the event that you do believe that the the word of God is true and all that it teaches, my next question is, are you willing to form your life around it? If it is true, if it's ultimately true, if it's the ultimate truth, the absolute truth, Are you committed to forming your life around it? Question number three, last but not least, that if we really believe that, that the word of God is completely true, the ultimate pure truth of the words of God Are we committed to forming our church around it? Because I'm going to be quite frank, if that's the case, our church and just about every church I know doesn't look anything like the Word of God. I'm the lead pastor of this church. And don't think that I don't bear the weight of that. I 
somewhere along the way, Christianity started worshiping comfort, worshiping their pastors, worshiping their music, and largely dismissed the entire reason why Jesus assembled us in the first place. You know, it's just about two and a half years ago that our elder team came under just overwhelming conviction that, that we needed to run hard and fast with our mission and our values and our vision. We need to run hard and fast back towards the Word of God. Because, yeah, we have been doing church and we have been preaching the Word of God as accurately as possible. And we have been worshiping God through public gatherings and we pray and we pray over people and we trust God for healings and we believe in the gospel past, present, and future. But like we were missing one of the most substantial, significant pieces of the entire story of God and his people. And it's the fact that he assembled us not to soak up our comforts, not to further satisfy ourselves with more programs, but he assembled us that we would be his witnesses. Acts 1.8, that we would be the witnesses, that we would bear witness to what we have seen and heard to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He assembled us here in the heartland so that we would be witnesses to Lake Placid and Sebring and Avon Park and Lake Wells, all the way down to LaBelle, all the way out to Wachula, all the way out to Okeechobee, to Placid Lakes, to Leisure Lakes, to Avon Park Lakes, to Sunning Lake. We got a lot of lakes around here. To Golf Hammock, to Country Club, to Washington Heights. That we would be witnesses that we would declare what we have seen and what we have heard so that all the world would know that the king has come and that whosoever would believe in him can be set free, can be his, can be reconciled with God. That is why we gather, to equip the saints for the work of that mission, not to entertain you with clever sermons or really cool music even though we love both of those things let me just start right here for some perspective um, let's let's just consider grace bible in its entirety i'm, I'm, I'm kind of using some kind of vague numbers here but let's just consider it is it in its entirety we have families from lake wales to labelle Wachula to Okeechobee and everywhere in between that are part of our church family here. Here in the heartland, there's probably somewhere north of about 2,000 people that would say, yeah, Grace Bible's my church home. I would conservatively say, let's say about half or so, let's say about 1,000 of those people like are really committed to what, what God is doing here they're present, they're watching online, they give, they serve, they participate, they pray, they believe in the mission, they encourage one another, they're growing in their faith, like they are immersed in the work of God in and through Grace Bible. Let's just say that there's about 
a thousand people that call Grace Bible home that, that are on that level of their relationship with God. Now, let's just consider for a second. And the world today, the, the global population is knocking at the door of about eight billion people. Three billion of which survive on about less than about $2 a day. Now, one billion of those three billion are in such extreme poverty that they are dying from malnutrition and uh, preventable, treatable illnesses. The large majority of the eight billion people in the world today are worshiping false gods and are immersed in false religions. About 1.5 billion people have never even heard the gospel, and many of those have no access to it whatsoever. Billions of people, billions of people, and it's not just them out there, it's people in our community, it's your neighbors, it's your friends, it's your family, it's our People, billions of people around the world are on what Jesus called a wide path to destruction. Billions of people, the large majority of humans on the face of the planet are headed down a path that is leading towards destruction, eternal separation from God, and an ultimate landing place called hell. If we believe what the Bible says, Decide for yourself. To which I can hear some of your hearts crying out right now. But oh God, that's messed up. If that's true, then something's wrong with you. Wait, wait, wait. Under the sound of my voice this weekend, there will be well more than a thousand people that are gonna listen to this conversation. That's a thousand people right here that recognize the good news of Jesus, that have been changed by it, that have heard the gospel, that recognize that God became a man so that he could rescue us. He died a criminal's death to pay a price we couldn't pay. And whosoever would believe in him and his death on the cross and his resurrection that conquered death altogether Whosoever would believe in him 10 billion years from now, we're going to be feasting with God and worshiping him with all the other people that believed. A thousand of us right here listening to me, most of which are listening right now, that not only have been saved by God, but have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. God in us. The first time heaven touched earth, it was God and his name was Jesus. The second time heaven touched earth, it was through his Holy Spirit and it was in you. And he's here and he's in us. And before we wag a finger at God, thinking he's a cruel kid on an anthill, there's over a thousand people that are listening to this word that have been changed by it, that believe in it, 
but have not been moved to the point of going and telling. Oh, by the way, it's not just a thousand or so of us, it's tens of thousands of people here in the heartland. It's a couple hundred thousand people here in the state of Florida. It's hundreds of millions probably in the United States of America and throughout the world. And you know what's even cooler? We didn't have to get together and try to figure out, let's see, how are we going to put somebody everywhere to go and tell the world? God figured that one out for us. And he stuck us all over the place, different neighborhoods, different cities, different continents, different countries. You have different interests, different hobbies, different passions and skills with one spirit, the power of God that dwells within us. And yet billions and billions of people, even though the church is all over the world, billions of people are running toward an ultimate destruction. And that, that tells me that maybe, maybe we've made church into something it's not supposed to be. If we believe in the words and work of God, then we just must not care enough. Let's pretend, let's pretend we can start over. Let's just, let's just say that we had a, a, just a blank slate. We got to start fresh from the beginning and we didn't have, let, let's just take what we know as church and set it aside for a minute. Basically buildings, budgets, and potlucks. That's about it. Let's just set that aside for a minute. And let's just, let's just dream for a second. What if even just the thousand folks that are like leaning in, really leaning in here at GBC, like what if we could start fresh we set aside everything that we know as church and we considered, really considered the word of God in front of us and the world that is around us. I wonder how we would build our church. I wonder where we would start. I wonder how we would measure success if we really believed the word of God in front of us and felt the burden of the world around us. I wonder what we would do. I wonder, I wonder if we would build the biggest, most, most ornate buildings that we could afford to impress all the other churches. I'm wondering if we would try to get the top dollar, most educated Bible teacher so that we could gather everybody around him once a week to learn what he has to say about the word. I wonder if we would exhaust all of our resources to make sure we had the best music around. I wonder if we would hire dozens of staff to design and create programs to serve us and our children. I wonder if we would spare no expense to make sure that we or anybody that stepped inside of our four walls was as comfortable as possible. 
I wonder. I wonder if that would be our strategy. I wonder if that's how we would measure success by who had the biggest and the most buildings and the most people coming to listen to the guy talk every week. I wonder if we would measure our success as a church if we were truly burdened and transformed by the word of God in front of us and the world around us. I wonder if we would measure our success by buildings and budgets. I wonder if we would measure our success by our seating capacity. Or maybe, just maybe, I wonder if the word of God really gripped us. If our minds would get changed and we would be less concerned about seating capacity and more concerned about sending capacity. And how we are equipping our people to live out the Great Commission, being fully formed disciples, being who God has called them to be. Not, not just a gatherer in a place, but a people who gather and are on mission together. So that the world would know that the king has arrived. And listen, like I would love, I would love, this is why we're calling this Abide 21 Journey Living Scent. We want to be a people who are live sent. And listen, I would love to take the time to rattle off 25 different options about how you as a Christ follower could live sent in your neighborhood, in your workplace. But but I'm just, I was reminded this week as I was thinking, okay, what's some examples that I can say to really kind of let it stick for people? I was reminded like the Holy Spirit was telling me like, hey, um, I know them better than you and I know their context better than you. So I'm going to just utter it to them. So I'm trusting God. I'm begging God that this conversation we're having right now doesn't fall flat. That it changes us. We can't can't be like the rest of the Christian world. We can't be like casual country club church. We can't just be a people that gather once a week and figure we checked our church box and we're great Christians now, man. If that's the best we can accomplish, we have missed the whole point of why Jesus went to the cross. And billions of the people that we love and billions of people will never meet. And they're never going to see the king of glory. And I just want to encourage you, like when Jesus said these words, these were Jesus' famous last words. He said this right before his feet lifted off the ground and he ascended into heaven, that you will be my witnesses. Spirit's going to come upon you and be in you. I want to remind you, like, that he didn't just grab a disciple aside and have this conversation one-on-one with one of his followers. He was speaking to a crowd of a couple hundred people when he said these words. He was calling them as a community who had all been indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit to do this in community and on mission together. You already work together, he said. 
You're already coaching the same t-ball team. I already stuck you in the same neighborhood. Check me out. I got this thing figured out. But I'm just wondering, is your churches and is your life going to be formed around my word and what you've called me to do? Because if it is, the world would never be the same ever again. The heartland would never be the same ever again. Like, I would like to say that this, this, this is an option. This is another direction we could go as a church. How does that sound? But I just want to tell you, like, this is the only option. This is the direction we're going as a church. This is all we got. I'm not going to stand before the king of glory one day, having told him I did a good job putting on entertainment every Sunday for a bunch of the frozen saints. But I want to stand before God, like having faithfully like ignited the people of God towards the mission of the kingdom of God and had declared it with all that's in me. And if I lay my head in the grave as Jeremiah did and not see the fruit of it, then so be it. But this is what we're going to be about. And I know it's hard. It's like, man, where do we start? Like, what do we do from here? I want to remind you, like, man, the that the first century disciples that heard this for the first time, they were thinking the same thing. They didn't have podcasts they can listen to. They didn't have some fiery sermon they could grab a hold to or some YouTube video or some book that taught them how to be missional and live where they are for the glory of God. Like they, they had each other. They had their memory of what Jesus had done and said, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit, and that was it. So if you're like me, like them, and you don't know what to do, I want to invite you into doing what they did. Praying really dangerous prayers. I bet you that they remember the words of Isaiah and they begin to pray, Here am I, Lord, send me. I bet you they remembered the words of Jehoshaphat. And they cried out to God, Lord, I have no idea what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's where I'm at. Myself and the pastors and elders, like, man, we hear God's word and we believe it. And we want to live it. But man, trying to figure out how to live it ourselves and how to like motivate the body of believers that are under our care towards living it, like that's gonna take the Holy Spirit. But I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines and just keep putting on a show and wait as we drift back into laziness. Like we're gonna keep calling you into mission. We're gonna keep inviting you to, instead of drive through your neighborhood and notice the stop signs, start noticing the houses. Instead of seeing them aggravating kids across the street mess up your yard again, man, see children of the king that may wander through their whole life, never seeing the gospel modeled in their lives, but yet you are an indwelt, Holy Spirit-filled kingdom citizen. And that broken fence post is a gospel opportunity. 
that conversation as you're standing in the yard with your neighbor just looking at them daggum weeds, man. They keep popping up, man. I put everything. I put atrazine on them things. I try weed and feed them daggum things. Won't go away. And hear the voice of God in that moment and say, man, that's just like my heart, to be honest with you. I try all kinds of stuff to get them daggum weeds to go away. But for some reason, man, they keep popping up. And it seems like the harder I try, the worse they get. I'm going to have to call on somebody that specializes in weed killing. Outside of me, more powerful than me, more, more skilled. I'm going to need Jesus to fix that. Man, gospel fluency and the silly stuff. Taking every opportunity. And so I guess what I'm asking, no, no, I guess what I'm saying, online folk, in-person folk, is our call right now as we move forward is we're going to start praying dangerous prayers. I'm talking to each one of us as individuals. Would you, would, you, would you join me and the pastors and elders and our wives and our families by praying the dangerous prayer of, like, God, I am yours. My stuff is yours. My family is yours. And do with us as you will. My neighbors are yours, and I don't even know how to talk to them, but I know that you stuck me here as a missionary. I don't know how to bring it up. But if you want to cultivate it, if you want to give me opportunity to be Speak the gospel in the lives of my neighbors and usher them towards the king of glory. Like, then sign me up. I'm here. Here, my Lord, send me. And while I have your attention, I'm going to start by praying the dangerous prayer over this church. And you begin by praying it for yourself over your own life and family. Let's pray. As many saints that have gone before us, Lord, we are not quite sure what to do next. But we see your word in front of us and we believe it and we're burdened by the world around us and our heart breaks over it. And we want to be changed to the point that we actually cling to your word and to one another. And form our lives and our families and our churches around your kingdom purposes, not our own country club preferences. Please, God, I feel the weight of what I'm about to say, but God, I, I pray a dangerous prayer in faith, Lord. If you need to strip us of our programs, our buildings, our budgets, or whatever to form us, into the ecclesia gospel mission that you have created us to be, then this church is yours. I am yours. My family is yours. These people are yours. We are not our own. We are sojourners passing through. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. You left us here after saving us so that we could partner in the family business. The great rescue mission. And it's intimidating, it's easier to talk about the playoffs and the pandemic than it is to talk about Jesus. But God, may the Holy Spirit within us be our words and our courage and our eyes to see. And may thy kingdom come and thy will be done in the heartland as it is in heaven. 
And in Jesus' name we pray.